بسم الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. First of all, you know, all praise and thanks is due to Allah, and I just want to give a huge thank you to MCYC, you know, Imam Bilal, Brother Rajab, our admins. You know, mashallah, this event would not be possible literally without MCYC. So a huge shout out to MCYC. Um, and also to all of our staff from Master SSF because they've been working so hard, mashallah, and they definitely deserve the recognition. Um, so I just want to introduce the program, the purpose behind it. So we have an event today. Uh, it's for the new opening of our satellite slash branch office. Um, so basically we'll have an office here at MTYC on Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and on Fridays from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. And so the objective of this is to basically connect the social services that MassSSF provides, the information about it, you know, make it accessible to the community. So we'll have an office here available and you can go in, learn about the services. And you know, if, if you know somebody who needs help, you know, and, or if you yourself need help, we can help you get connected to that. So we'll start with Imam Blau's talk, uh, you know, on mental health and wellness and you know, why this is important. And then after the talk, I'll give like a brief overview of our programs at MassSSF. Um, and then we'll, we'll have a little Q&A if you have any questions, I'll do my best to answer. Uh, and I guess I should have started with introductions. My name is Bhatta Chaudhary. You know, I've, grew, I've grown up here at MCYC. For, you know, I've been a youth leader here for almost seven, eight years. And uh, I started with MassSSF about two years ago as the administrative assistant. So if you need any you know, general advice, general like, uh, guidance on the process, you know, the programs at, at MassSSF, um, I'm your guy to help. Uh, and with that, after, after the talk, after the Q&A and overview, uh, we'll transition into the overflow room. And then in the overflow room, we have our table set up with our staff, and they'll give more details about all of our programs um, in more depth in the process on, on how those, those programs work. After that, you know, you'll exit the room, and then there'll be refreshments available, food and refreshments available. And then you can go outside and eat you know, on the table and eat outside and you know, chit chat and everything. So inshallah we'll begin with Imam Bilal's talk. Jazakallah khair Islam. Jazakallah khair. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi. Ajma'een. Jazakallah khair to a beloved friend, Basit, for one, for being here. May Allah accept all of your efforts in general and the entire Mass SSF team as it relates to the different work uh, the important work, I should say, that you guys do, the different people that you help of different ages, uh, I know for sure there is a tremendous impact that you guys have on uh, especially the Muslims in uh, in the, the general Sacramento area, and I'm sure otherwise, but especially in this locality. May Allah bless all of your efforts. May Allah accept the, the good deeds, the good intentions, and may Allah Grant all of you and all of us, inshallah, firdaus. Uh, May Allah gather all of us there. Amin rabbil alamin. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, Allah mentions that whoever saves one life, then the reward is as if they saved all of mankind. And whoever takes an innocent life, then the, the consequence is as if they killed all of mankind. It shows us the sanctity and how sacred human life is. Allah doesn't specify which single soul. Allah just says any person. Because the, the, the nature of life that Allah has given us, this gift of life that Allah 
has given us is extremely sacred. Allah mentions in Surah Ali Imran, "Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas, tamruna bil ma'roofi wa tanhauna al munkari wa tu'minuna billah." Allah mentions regarding the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that you are the best nation sent forth to mankind. Allah didn't specify Quraysh. Allah didn't specify the Arabian Peninsula. Allah didn't specify Banu Hashim. Allah said, you are the best nation sent forth to benefit all of mankind. Kuntum khayra ummatan ukhrijat linnas. Sent forth, you go out to help people. Because in the heart of every Muslim, there should be this deep concern, not just for Muslims, but for, for humanity as a whole. This ayah is unique in a couple different ways. One, this is the only place in the Quran where we find this specific phrase. Kuntum khayra ummatan nas. This is the only place in the entire Quran where it's used. This ayah is also unique because typically in the Quran you have iman, you have faith mentioned prior to good deeds. Alladina aman wa salihat. We find this phrase over and over and over in the Quran. But in this ayah, Allah flips it. Allah mentions that you're the best nation sent forth to mankind. Allah mentions action first, and then Allah mentions iman. You encourage what's right, you discourage what's wrong. And you believe in Allah. You only have a handful of ayahs in the Quran like this. This, this ayah starts with an intention. A person, a people... There has to be the intention that I want to benefit people, I want to help people, I want to heal people, I want to help them with their health. And health is a, is a very broad concept, there are different subcategories of health. There's physical health, there's emotional health, there's spiritual health. The fact that there's an organization like this in general in America, but especially in our locality, is I think more of a significant blessing than the general Muslim community may realize. I'm well aware of it, I know you're well aware of it because, and the team, especially at Mass SSF, is well aware of it because you see firsthand how many people are benefiting from the services, how many people are in need, and then the fact that there's an institution, there, there's a place, there's an organization where they can turn to, whether it's for individual counseling, for their own wellness, whether it's marital counseling for the wellness of their relationship, whether it's family counseling, whether it's teen counseling, all of this is extremely pivotal and beneficial, especially as it relates to healing. There's the prevention side, but there's also the cure. When it comes to how we should understand the concept of mental health, maybe at some point we should put together a, a, a workshop for this, just because the idea has, has been on my mind for so long, as I'm sure it's, it's been on yours and, and many others as well, a lot of the time, unfortunately, within the general Muslim community, there are many misunderstandings, especially as it relates to mental health. If someone goes through some challenge, some difficulty, trial, tribulation, calamity, all of the above, and as a result, if they feel down, a lot of the time the immediate response from your average Muslim is maybe you're feeling sad because your Iman is low. 
Maybe you're crying because your iman is low. Why are you still crying about this thing, this challenge, when it may have been years ago? Why, why are you still... Maybe it's because you're so attached to the dunya, that's why you're crying so much over that loved one you lost several years ago. Or going through whatever trial or tribulation several years ago. It could be over a decade ago, maybe even decades ago. When you take a step back and you go through, you know when, when, when a faqih, when a scholar who's, think of Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, so on and so forth, when, when someone with a certain niche in the Islamic sciences goes through the Qur'an, goes through the Sunnah, they're typically doing so with those lenses. So if someone comes across an ayah, for example the ayah of debt, the longest ayah in the Qur'an, they're going to look at it and analyze it from that perspective. If someone is an expert in hadith, they're going to see things, whatever is in front of them, in a certain way. It's going to have an influence on their paradigm. If someone goes through the Qur'an with the lenses of someone who's familiar with, perhaps even uh, an expert in mental health, in emotional health, you see so many examples plain and clear right in front of you that validate these different things. We, we just we had for Dean over Dunya, it's a monthly discussion that we have with high school and, and college age students. We, we, the discussion was related to this yesterday and how it's like a Venn diagram when you look at mental slash emotional health and spiritual health, there's definitely an area of overlap. Their research does show um, that spirituality in general does have a generally positive impact on a person's emotional health. What we need to understand is that it's a tool in the toolbox, it's not the entire toolbox. It's extremely important and helpful and beneficial. Dhikr brings peace to the heart. Absolutely. Quran is medicine. Absolutely. But there are certain things that are going to be distinctly different between between these two different things. I.e., if someone is feeling sad, if someone is grieving, if someone is crying, that's not necessarily a reflection of their iman. I'll give you a few quick examples from the Qur'an and Sunnah just because I, I want us as Muslims to understand these concepts are right there in front of us. We just have to look at these different stories perhaps in, in, in a different way, maybe in a way that we've never thought of them before. When you look at the life of Prophet Muhammad one of the descriptions that the Sahaba gave regarding him is that he, no one smiled more than him. He smiled all the time, constantly. That, that's just who he was. He was one, one of those people, if there was one person, it would be him who's always smiling. They're constantly smiling. Through the ups and downs of life, that, that was just part of who he was. When his third baby boy passed away, Ibrahim, this is in the, the latter years of Medina, the Prophet wept, the Prophet cried, And there was a companion who was there, a Sahabi, asked him, even you, Ya Rasulullah, regarding crying. I mean, this is the greatest human ever. This is this amazing person. And by this point in Medina, there, there, have, there have even been significant, um, like significant traits 
oh, sorry, traits within the Prophet that were not shown in Mecca. The Prophet was not a military leader in Mecca. But that side of him, it came out in Medina because there was a time and a place for it. And even regarding that, he was the best of the best when it came to each and every one of these categories. This Sahabi was shocked. He was surprised to see the Prophet crying. And he asked him, even you, Ya Rasulullah? And the Prophet said, yes. The eyes shed tears. And the heart grieves, but the tongue only says what's pleasing to Allah. I don't think any of us, I don't think any Muslim would dare go to the Prophet ﷺ and say, Ya Rasulullah, why are you crying? Is your iman low? Why are you crying after your, your, your third baby boy passed away? Why are you so attached to your children? This is dunya. What is wrong with you? Is your iman low? Not a single Muslim ever between then and now would dare to even consider going to the Prophet and responding in that way. So then why do we respond in that way with each other when the Sayyidah Aisha described the Prophet, and there are many layers to this, as having the strength of 40 men. It wasn't just that he was extremely strong physically, which he was, but also real real strength, as the Prophet himself described, is to control your anger. That's real strength, not necessarily wrestling your opponent to the ground, but controlling yourself emotionally. The Prophet was extremely strong. Even then, he still wept. He still cried. He still felt afraid. And I want to tie this in with the fact that that Mass SSF offers this critical thing called support. What was the first thing the Prophet did after he initially receives revelation? The story in the cave, Ghar Hira, in, in the mountain in Mecca. In the cave, we know that story. But let's, again, think about the Qur'an from an emotional health perspective, a mental health perspective. From the perspective of well-being, what was the first thing the Prophet did? He went to Khadija. For what? Support. And her legacy in supporting the Prophet and offering support to the Prophet in that critical moment is forever preserved in the Qur'an. When we read, Ya ayyuhal muzzamil qumil layla illa qalila, her legacy is preserved right there. Ya ayyuhal muddathir qum fa'andir. Her legacy is preserved. His immediate response was not, let me bottle this in, bottle this up, and completely isolate. The struggle is real. Sometimes some people may do that. His immediate response was, I need support and I know that I need support and I'm not, I'm not above the concept of support. He didn't reach out for support a week later, a year later, immediately. This thing happens and it shakes him. He immediately goes and he seeks support and he finds support and he receives support and he benefited from that support. He was healed from that support now we have a different angle as it relates to Surah Muzzamil, Surah Muddathir especially the initial ayat when you look at Prophet Yaqub 
a great Nabi. Bani Israel are mentioned time and time again in the Quran. He was Israel. So Bani Israel, the children of who? Of this person. And that was like an, an honorary uh, title for him, essentially. He loses his son, Prophet Yusuf salam, completely innocent boy. But due to issues that basically his older brothers had, they threw him in the well, so on and so forth, because they weren't willing, they weren't willing to treat themselves internally. Their envy got the best of them, and sadly, Prophet Yusuf salam, still as a kid, he pays the price. Completely innocent person. He's thrown into the well. He ends up being picked up. The whole story unfolds in Egypt. When you look at this is this is a bit later on in the surah. What was the condition of Prophet Yaqub this great Nabi of Allah at this time? His immediate response when it first happens, the Prophet taught us a sabr and a sadmatul ula. That that the like the core of patience, the main part of it is when when the calamity first hits, when it first when it first strikes basically, because there's that shock. It's unexpected, it hasn't set in yet. Prophet Yaqub Allah describes him in the Quran, and it's important for us to look at what does Allah say and what does Allah not say. Regarding Prophet Yaqub He's described as This is years later. Allah mentions that he wept and he continued crying so much so to the point that he went blind. His eyes became white. He lost his vision. Would any Muslim, would any person in their right mind go to Nabi Yaqub and say, What's wrong with you? Why are you crying? Okay, maybe cry once or twice early on. It's been years and you've cried so much to the point that you've lost your vision. Isn't your son from the dunya? You know, shouldn't you have zuhud? Shouldn't you be dis- disattached from anything this world has to offer? So, so on and so forth. No one would go to him and say that. No one would go to him and say, why have you continuously cried so much, so much, so much? Yes, he's a Nabi of Allah. He's also a human. No one would go to him and say, I think your iman is low because you're crying so much. Of course, his iman is, is, is at its peak. He's a Nabi of Allah. We believe as Muslims, as part of our aqidah, that the prophets and the messengers of Allah, they're protected. Each prophet is ma'asum. Each messenger is ma'asum. They're protected from falling into sin. Nowhere in this ayah, the ayah before, the ayah after, nowhere in this passage does Allah Azza wa Jal criticize him for that? In fact, a few ayahs later, you find him leaning on Allah for support. He has no other support at this time. He complains to Allah about this, this weight that he's carrying. Allah doesn't criticize him. Allah doesn't, you know, correct him and it's validated by Allah Azza wa Jal. So when, when we reflect on these different stories, these different surahs, these different hadith, and when when we all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, so 
The Prophet went through a year of sorrow. Nowadays we would translate that as a year of depression because he lost Sayyidah Khadija and Abu Talib within three to five days of each other. Imagine within one week he loses his main pillar for internal support, Sayyidah Khadija, and his main pillar for external support, Abu Talib, his main political ally, Abu Talib. Now that he's gone, he's at the mercy of the people like people like Abu Lahab, Abu Jahl, Umay ibn Khalaf. That's why he goes to Ta'if. And then look at how he's treated in Ta'if. And then after that you have Isra'ul Mi'raj. So that there's there's this deep pain. Later on he would say that the most difficult day in his life was the day of Ta'if. A big part of that had to do with the pain he was already feeling. He Sayyidah Aisha asked him that question. Was the day of Uhud the, your most difficult day? He said he said no, it was the day of Ta'if. The Prophet didn't respond and say he didn't respond and say, I've never had a difficult day, everything is perfect all the time. He didn't respond and say, I've 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 never felt down or I've never been stressed or I've never been sad or I've never He was he was open and honest and he said that was my most difficult day. And a big part of that is because of the background of what happened just before that. And then on top of that, this happens. And somehow he has the grace when Jibreel comes to him, if you want these angels, they can smash these mountains right now. Somehow, والسلام, he responds saying, no, maybe their kids will become Muslim. You know, it's amazing. I know I, need, I know I need to wrap up. When you look at the seerah of the Prophet, والسلام, you look at some of his most staunch enemies. Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, you have Abu Jahl, you have uh, m- many examples. You look at, for many of them, their children ended up becoming Muslim. So even though they opposed the Prophet, Allah gave the Prophet their children. SubhanAllah. And the, the EQ of the Prophet is so high, such that when the Prophet described Abu Jahl as the Fir'aun of this Ummah, think of who Fir'aun is, that's not a small statement. The Prophet is saying this regarding him. And he fights against the Prophet in battle, he, die, he dies in Badr. His son Ikrimah was also on the wrong side of things at that time. He eventually becomes Muslim. And the Prophet tells the Sahaba, like in his absence, don't say anything bad about his father around him. Because it's not going to harm the dead, it's only going to harm the living, meaning his son, and now he's Muslim. Look at the care for, for this, this one human heart. SubhanAllah, when, when, now when you go through the, the seerah, you go through the, the Qur'an, you go through tafsir, all these different things, you find so many different examples that clearly shows us that yes, these things are... Why did the Prophet teach us every morning, every evening, it's good to make the dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan. Some would explain that now as depression and anxiety, one regarding the past, depression, one regarding the future, Anxiety in the cave, the Prophet Abu Bakr, what does he tell him? La tahzan in Allah ma'ana. He did ask Abu Bakr, why, why, why do you have huzan? Don't you have iman? Don't you? This is Abu Bakr, but the Prophet's telling him, don't worry, things are going to be okay. Don't feel so anxious. Allah is with us, things are going to be okay. And they ended up being okay. The point is, yes, these things, this part, it's part of the human project, it's part of the human experience. There are these ups and downs, but with support, with healing, there's so much good that can come afterwards. Even if at, at, during that time in the sunken place, it seems impossible. But then 
when someone reaches out to an organization like Mass SSF, it's no exaggeration to, I know this and you know this, and mashallah, many if not all of you here, Mass SSF actively saves people's lives. Like consistently, it's, it's not once in a blue moon. No, 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 this is like real work is being put in. We ask Allah to accept all of the effort. We ask Allah to bless them for all of their intentions and efforts and all the, the, the time that's put in. We ask Allah to accept all of all of the good that's trying to be done. We ask Allah to accept it and fill it with His nur and barakah, with His light and His divine blessing. Amin Rabbil Alameen. We ask Allah to heal not just us, but anyone who's struggling, Muslim or non-Muslim, with whatever emotional issue, we ask Allah to heal them, and we should ask Allah to heal them. If you're a physician, you don't you don't say, Dr. Musafa, you don't say, I'm only going to help you if you're if you're Muslim. If you're not, no, you don't have to say a word about Islam, but just by helping, and then they happen to notice that you're professional, that you dot the I's and cross the T's, and you're kind and you smile and this and that, and then they notice that, oh, oh, that sounds like a Muslim name, wow. And then they walk away with something in their heart. I saw all this stuff on the news, but man, that, that, this was different. That's what ukhrijat linnas means, to help people, to heal people, to offer support. We ask Allah to turn any difficulty into ease. We ask Allah for the best of this life and the next. I don't know if you want to do any Q&A or any presentation for anything. I'll follow your lead, inshallah. That was a beautiful, beautiful talk about the humanness of the prophets in, in connecting the Quran and Sunnah. Um, I just wanted to give just a brief uh, overview of our programs at Mass SSF. And of course, you can go at, at, at the table and 